You're listening to our weekly podcast, Getting in the Word with Stuart Guthrie. Stuart is the teaching pastor of Family Bible Fellowship of Ridgeville in Early Branch, South Carolina. We hope to grow together with you, seeking real knowledge from the truth, the Word of God. Here's Stuart. So I've entitled the message today from the book of Galatians, Works Don't Work. Uh, We'll be looking at Galatians chapter 2, verse 17 to 21 specifically. And uh, and it's always, a, again, a privilege to have you. If you're joining us for the first time, we want to welcome you to Getting in the Word. Um, if you would like to get the message out, um, I would ask that you share uh, the link, and let's get as many people in as we can so that the Word can go forth. But nevertheless, we're grateful for those who are able to be here um, this morning. Well, let's go ahead and open in in prayer, and then we'll jump right in. I was going to see if, Michael, would you be willing to open us in prayer this morning? Absolutely, Pastor. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. We're going to begin with thanking you for this glorious day, Lord. Uh, And we have uh, this time together, the Lord, that uh, you would allow our hearts to be open our minds to be clear, and that uh, the word that uh, is shared today resonates in our heart, and we carry it throughout the day. Let us go boldly and uh, listen strongly, and allow your word to to sink into our hearts and minds. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Amen. Well, thank you, Michael. Well, again, we're going to be looking at uh, Galatians uh, chapter 2 verse 17 to 21. So if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn there. It's been a journey through this great epistle. And I don't know about you, but I've been encouraged. I've also been challenged. I've learned a a ton of things through this study so far. Uh, We've only made it through two chapters at this point, and there are still four full chapters after today that we will continue prayerfully to work through. Um, Nevertheless, I want us to learn what it is that Paul desires to teach us ultimately through the book of Galatians as we apply it to our lives. Again, information without transformation is not a benefit uh, to the soul. We, we, We need to preach the word, not simply extract information, but to proclaim for the purpose of transformation. And, um, you know, we could could get all emotional and make people feel good and draw many numbers. And, but really, um, good solid preaching is taking the word of God and allowing it to say what it says, not to add to or to subtract from but rather allow the the text of the scriptures to to give us what the author intended. We call it authorial intent. And so you'll notice if you get to know me or our church, that we are a church that preaches expositorily, uh, verse by verse, expositionally. And and that's because we, we know that the Word of God is living and active. It's all scriptures inspired. 
by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness, so that what? The man, the woman of God may be adequately equipped for all good works. And I want the Word of God to change the hearts of people and not my uh, charisma or my stories or my I said Jesus reading into the text something that doesn't exist, which we, I promise, don't have a lack of in this culture. And so it's important that we do uh, understand the scriptures verse by verse. And that allows me not to skip over things that may offend you and uh, or offend me. Nevertheless, um, you know, as we teach through the Word of God, we, we teach what it says. And, um, and sometimes it can be very, cause a lot of tension when you get into the pastoral epistles, when you start talking about the qualifications of elders, pastors, bishops, um, you know, and then you start talking about what it is to be a one-woman man, is um, who's qualified to be a preaching and who's not, and you know, you start talking about uh, should a pastor be a woman or a man? You start, listen, you can't skip over those things. And the reason I say that is I'm about to start a 13 week series through the book of Titus, and we're going to be cranking out some very hot topics. But nevertheless, um, if we're going to understand the anatomy of a healthy church through the book of Titus as it relates to leaders, members, and partners for the gospel, then we have to extract the word for what it says and allow that word to permeate and to convict our hearts. And that's what we've been doing through the book of Galatians. If you have been by way of reminder, I want to kind of give you an outline. I, I don't know how it's going to post up here, but uh, here is some uh, an outline, so to speak. Uh, we looked at uh, chapter 1, verses 1 to 9, deal with the ultimately the introduction uh, to to the book of Galatians. So we saw the first five verses dealt with Paul's greetings, six through nine, Paul's instructions to his audience. And then we see here in verse 10 to chapter 2, verse 21, we see Paul's personal defense. And so we see Paul's defense against people-pleasing, verse 10. We see Paul's defense against the gospel of man, verse 11 and 12. We see uh, Paul's defense against the old Jew in verse 13 and 14, or 13 to 24. And then we see Paul's defense against disunity, verses 1 and 2 of chapter 2, and Paul's defense against accommodating error in chapter 2, verse 3 to 10. And then um, chapter 2, 11 to 14, Paul's defense against hypocrisy, and then we saw uh, chapter 2, verse 15 and 16, Paul's defense against just uh, self-justification. And then we'll see chapter 2, 17 to 21, Paul's defense against the law. And then the third section is chapter 3 to chapter 4, verse 31, as we look at Paul's doctrine, doctrine, doctrinal distinctions. And then uh, chapter 5, to chapter 6, verse 10, Paul's practical principles, and then the conclusion, chapter 6, 11 to 18. So that's the layout that we we would have um, been working through. And nevertheless, um, I hope that uh, this 
study through Galatians has been a blessing. Last time we were in Galatians, we took a journey into the doctrine of justification, so to speak. We looked at two main ideas. First, we saw our need to understand the necessity of justification. We saw uh, that all had been called out in, in the Word of God as sinful, stained, separated, at enmity with God, separated from God. All are in need of forgiveness, of God's grace, of God's mercy, of His salvation. And uh, we talked about what it was to be declared right before God, even as a sinful man, right? We, we know that the Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, there is none righteous, and in order to get to heaven, you must be absolutely perfect, as righteous as God. Thus, how in the world is that possible? Well, you must be, number one, born again. And when you were born again, when you were regenerated, the Bible says you are justified. And when you're justified, that means you have been declared right by Almighty God. God, not perfect, but declared right. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So what happens when you and I are declared right before God? So we saw our need for the necessity of justification, right? We saw the nature, the, uh, the need to understand the nature of of justification, that the fact that we've been declared right for those that have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, and we are no longer at that point declared an enemy of God, separated from God, but rather we are now declared, He has given those who believed in His name the right to become children of God. And so we looked at the fact that while Paul understood this great message of faith in Christ, there were people in that day that wanted to buy into a works-based salvation, a salvation that was dependent upon keeping and maintaining the law. They were trying to refute the teachings of Paul, but Paul, understanding completely the gospel of grace, states that by the works of the law, no man will be justified, including himself, including you, and including the Jew. And so we saw through a number of passages that it was through Jesus Christ alone that you and I could be made right with God again. And it was by faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ which could transform us from being an adversary of God to being a child of God, a friend having a personal relationship with God. And today we can't help, as we look at this portion of Scripture, we can't help but to continue in the same idea, because Paul is still on top of this topic about grace and law, about faith and about rules. You know, I, I believe that we are living in the effects of a cultural, generational Christianity that has ultimately 
focused on the fruit rather than the root. So what you have is in the Christian nation behavior modification without heart change. What you have is men and women who claim to uh, be forgiven by the grace of God, yet in their lives um, their heart has not changed. So they continue to sin. But they look good on Sunday. And if you can't say amen, you got to say ouch. Behavior modification, listen, isn't God's desire. Listen, I've always said I could hang fake fruit on a dead tree, but it's still dead. Listen, it's not a fruit issue. It's a root issue. And if there are no roots, it's dead. So we need to make sure that we we grasp this idea of grace and law and faith and rules because we don't want to be a people who simply try to decorate ourselves to look godly so we can fit into the culture for which we were raised in. And I believe when you have churches who are legalistic in their approach, the pastor is never wrong. He never sins. He never talks about his failures. And he has permeated this ideal that everybody must look a certain way. Then what you do is you have a bunch of acting Christians who are never really changed in the heart because they dress their best on Sunday and live like hell six days a week. Listen, you can fool man, but you can't fool God. And that's the reality. So we need to grasp the idea of, of faith and rules. Jesus is about heart change. David was about creating me a clean heart, oh God. We need to be about our heart, our hearts. So if you will, let's begin by turning to Galatians chapter 2, verse 17 to 21. We'll be going through all of these verses today, and I hope you will be challenged, encouraged, and strengthened as we walk through. Galatians chapter 2. But if, while seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have been found sinners, is Christ then a minister of sin? Question mark. May it never be. For if I rebuild what I once destroyed, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ and no longer live. And no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life which I now live in this flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. Paul is wrapping up his debate. He is laying his final touches. He is, he is extracting his final punches to give this death blow to a works-based salvation, to these pharisaical, these Judaizers who claim that you must live the law in order to be saved. He, 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 is, he is exterminating the idea in his final approach. And so three things I want us to grasp today as we look at our text, and that is, number one, 
we must remember Christ's provision. Secondly, we must remember Christ's position. And thirdly, we must remember Christ's purpose. Remember, Paul is speaking against a false gospel of works. He begins with these verses with somewhat of a rhetorical question. Um, he says in verse 17, But if, while seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves are also found sinners, is Christ then a minister of sin? The, the question we must allow ourselves to consider is what is Paul asking? So that brings us to our first point. We, we, we must remember Christ's provision. What is it that Christ has provided? What, what is it that provision means? It is, well, it means to be provided for. Um, maybe you are a father and you are uh, the worker in your home and you are the provider. You have been the one who has brought about provisions for your house for your family, for your children. So that's that's what provision means. It's to be a provider for. And so we as brothers and sisters need the reminder what it is that Christ has made provision for. I would say Christ has paid for our sins. That's fairly simple to understand. He has provided salvation. Christ has taken our place on Calvary. The provision of Christ has been given to those that place their faith in Jesus Christ. He has become the provider of freedom, the provider of uh, the, the, the righteousness, the justification, the, the holiness for which we must have in order to step into eternity with Almighty God. The, the truth is the provision He has given has made us be declared right before Almighty God, before a holy and just God, whom we were all at one time an enemy of because of our sin, because of our separation. But the fact is that because Christ has removed our sins, which makes us righteous in the eyes of God, He has removed our transgressions, which Isaiah 59 2 says has made a separation between us and God. The Bible says in the book of Psalms, as far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. Listen, if you are here today and you've never put your faith in Christ, you are enslaved to sin. But for those that have put their faith in Christ, there is this extermination of, of sin. It's gone as far as the eastern is the west. That's eternally. Because if you go east, you just keep going east. If you go west, you just keep going west. Do you feel that freedom today? Do you need the reminder this morning that your sins have been cast away? Maybe that's what I should have entitled the sermon, Cast Away, because Christ has cast away your sins as far as the east is from the west. Christ has provided for you and for me who are in Christ a clean slate. 
And it is important that we as brothers and sisters remember that. You see, we when we fail, when we fall, the, the easy thing to do is just to lay down and stay there, to remain down. I mean, that's what children do most of the time. Their father or mother will walk over and pick them up because they've fallen down and they will care for them and encourage them. And Or maybe you're a tough dad and you tell your son, hey, son, get up. Tough it up, boy, get up. Listen, you have a father who has been there for you, who picks you up, who encourages you. And it's the father, it's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And it's when we are reminded that Christ is that person that has picked us up, that has given us strength, once again to carry on, that we can find joy again and continue on. We have to get picked back up. Because if, while seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves also have been found sinners. Is Christ then a minister of sin? Paul says, may it never be. Paul says this very clear with a clear heart because he understands the provision in which Christ has made. And this provision that Christ has made is an everlasting provision. One that proves to be continual and eternal. You want to put yourself in the shoes of a Jew? Listen, they had been given the law of God. They were not allowed to eat certain food, do certain things. They had to attend certain festivals. There were tons of rules within the context of these verses lay the reality that Peter has has been hypocritical by acting out by the rules and pushing away from the Gentiles whom were different, whom had not been under the same standards. Nevertheless, Paul is saying, if we Jews have been found sinners because we no longer believe based off the laws as a need of righteousness, then Christ himself is then a minister of sin. Because if Christ that states you you and I are saved by believing in him, not obtaining the law, then it must be the reality. The provision of Christ is much is such that we are not saved by following the standards of rules, but rather trusting in the work and person of Jesus Christ and what he has done. Peter needed to understand that his actions were out of line, out of character of Christ. And in the eyes of Christ, you and I, were all equal. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, nor slave nor free, nor male nor female. That doesn't mean there's not men and women. God made two genders, male and female. But in Christ, God is not a respecter of persons. You are a child of God. You are equal. Doesn't mean there aren't Jews. Doesn't mean there aren't Gentiles. Doesn't mean they're not slaves and free. But the reality is, is in Christ, we're all children of God. One body in Christ and individually members of one another. It doesn't negate the reality that God has given roles with between men and women. Don't pervert Ephesians to try to, to, to 
to hold to an, a, an egalitarian theology. Don't twist the scriptures. Use them in their context. Don't pervert it so that you can accomplish what you want so you can be politically correct. No, that's not what we do. We stay biblically correct, and we let the standards be what they are and let the culture do what they do. Listen, Christ is never a minister of sin. He never agrees with sin. He never takes part in sin. He always desires to forgive the sins of mankind, and that's why He went to the cross. Therefore, when we fall into sin, we are out of line, and Christ will be there to get us back in line if we are truly a child of God, because He disciplines those He loves. And if you do sin, and, and you continue to sin, and there's no discipline, then you are an illegitimate child, because He does indeed discipline those He loves. So do you recall the provision for Christ in your life, for salvation? Personally, have you? Do you recall the day that, that your sins were forgiven? I mean, for me, it was March 25th, 2001. I remember. There at Ridgeland Baptist Church, Pastor Carl Poole, preached the gospel. I held the back of that pew and I felt the call of God on my life to repent and to believe the gospel, to put my faith 100% in the work of Christ, that in my own abilities it was impossible. And I realized for the first time that I needed a Savior and His name was Jesus. And I walked forward and put my faith in Christ, not because of something I'd done, not because of some prayer, but because of the drawing and the wooing and the working of Almighty God, the Holy Spirit, to draw men to Himself. And if you don't understand that, go back and listen to Pastor Gideon's message yesterday. Because the reality is, is you don't save yourself. You can do nothing to be saved. It is a work of Almighty God who by His grace saves you. By His mercy reaches out. The Bible says no one seeks after God, no, not one. So if you've never put your faith, today would be the best day to place your faith in Christ and no longer in your own efforts. The truth of the gospel will flood your soul with joy and forgiveness. You will be able to forgive others that have hurt you, that have harmed you when you're walking in true forgiveness because you can't help but to forgive others when you've been forgiven for all the mess you've done. Listen, it's Jesus alone that can justify you before God, that can declare you righteous. Paul goes on to restate the reality in another way. In verse 18, he says, For if I build what I have once destroyed, I prove myself to be a transgressor. Have you ever considered that statement? <clears throat> if I rebuild what I once destroy, I prove myself to be a transgressor. If I go back, now think about contextually, okay? 
Now, we can misinterpret and misuse and do all of these things that we want with the Scriptures, but think about it in the context because it's very clear. He is is on the topic with Peter, right? What does he say? If I go back and rebuild what I once destroyed, I prove myself to be a transgressor. What was he saying? If I go back to the law after receiving grace, Peter, then I myself, Paul, says I prove to be a transgressor. Because I have sinned and exchanged the grace of Christ, the provision of Jesus for a set of rules that were ultimately established to condemn me, if I go back to the law rather than grace, then I prove myself to be a transgressor. The fact that I still adhere to the law proves that I am a transgressor of the law and I have not been saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. And therefore, I act like a hypocrite. I smell like a hypocrite. Dress like a hypocrite. Therefore, you know what then I must be, a hypocrite. If Stuart steps out and tries to rebuild a system of rules and regulations after understanding grace by preaching a message of works-based salvation or a maintenance of your salvation by works, then I prove myself to be a sinner without true understanding of the gospel of grace and deemed a hypocrite. And the same goes for you. Let me ask you a question. How many of you today have tore down that in your own life? How many of you have tore down the addictions in your lives and then rebuild them back up again? How many of you have come to the come overcome things, difficult things in your life, and then gone back into the same lifestyle, rebuilding that which has been torn down? Listen, there are four types of people: those that are still living in a sinful lifestyle. You have to determine whether that's you or not. If you're living with a woman and you're not married and you're having relations, then that's sin. If you're getting drunk on this sin, if you're looking at pornography, it's sin. Are you still living in a sinful lifestyle? Are you abusive verbally to your spouse? The sin. Are you dishonoring God with what you watch and listen to? Or are you are you dishonoring God by by the, the things you say with your mouth, speaking with the words you say? Listen, there are those that are still living in a sinful lifestyle. And then there are those that are breaking the sinful lifestyle down. They're, they're beginning to see their sin first acknowledge their sin, allowing God at that moment to then begin to transform their lives and to bring them into a forgiven, a a victory over that sinful lifestyle. And they're they're counseling, they're meeting, and they're they're not having 100% victory, but where they were doing what they were doing five days a week, now they're doing it three days a week, and there's progressive sanctification. And then there are those that have broken the chains of sin. You know, you've, 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 you've completed. You were five days a week. You went to three days a week. You went to zero days a week. And then all of a sudden, 
Those that have broken the chains of sin are now back dabbling in them again, rebuilding what once has been broken down. And then you have those who have seen their sin broken and they stay on track with their life and prevent from being hypocritical. Now, I would say most of us struggle with C. We, we've broken the chains of sin in our life and then we get back to dabbling in them again, rebuilding that which has been broken down. But listen to me very clearly. In light of salvation, that cannot be done. Because if you buy into keeping the law as a method for your salvation, then you aren't saved. And that's what he is saying. That is ultimately what Paul is saying. If, if I rebuild what I've once destroyed, the law... It, 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 it has been broken down. The sins of my life have been broken down. And, and if I rebuild them back up and I start living uh, rather off of the law rather than grace, and I prove myself to be a transgressor. Listen, you may not struggle this morning with rebuilding the walls of legalism and abandoning the gospel of grace. But that should not negate the reality many struggle today with sin in this fashion. The context drives the reality. We're talking about law and grace. But it doesn't overarch the reality that there is an eternal truth here that we also likewise struggle with sin in the same fashion. Paul admonishes Peter, stop it. Paul challenged Peter to see. And then Paul called all of them to consider the sin of rebuilding that which has been broken down. Don't we all need the encouragement of doing that in life? I mean, we are fickle humans. Paul even understood when he says, for what am I doing? I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I like to do, but I'm doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So now no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. Listen, sin dwells in just creeping at the door. Do not rebuild all that God has broken down in your life. Believer, brother, sister, remember the provision of Christ is an eternal salvation. Don't be enticed to buy into the false teaching of a system which is built upon rituals and ordinances. For if we build what I've once destroyed, I prove myself to be a transgressor. Verse 19, for through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. If you are here today and you're living to the law, you're not living to God, but you're living to, God, to the gospel of man, which Paul has already disputed in chapter 1, verse 10 to 12. Instead of being drawn into a works-based lifestyle of salvation, 
or even maintaining your salvation by living some kind of false perfect life, which all men are unable to live by enticing, right? Uh, be enticed rather with the gospel of grace. The gospel that says Jesus did it all for you. That's what we need to be enticed by. We need to remember Christ's provision. But secondly, we need to be reminded of Christ's position. The underlying message which Paul is speaking about says, when I was an unbelieving Jew, I believed in the law. I followed the rules to the point of condemning Christians. This is Paul, remember. He says, I follow the rules. I used to do everything I could to oppose the followers of Jesus of Nazareth, he says. Authorized by the leading priest, I had many of them cast in the prison, and I cast my vote against them when they were condemned to death. Many times I had them whipped in the synagogues to try to get them with their cursed cry. I was so violently opposed in that I even hounded them in distant cities of foreign lands. He says, I followed the rules. And when I became a follower of Jesus, I no longer remained under the law, but trusted in Christ for justification. Christ became my head. He was the new reflection, if it were, of me. I no longer tried, tied myself to the law of man, but the gospel of Jesus Christ, the grace of Christ. And so find Paul now says in verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Paul here is describing the position of Christ in his life. Listen, this is, uh, if I've ever written you a letter, I always typically sign my letter Galatians 2.20. One of my favorite verses as a reminder that, uh, that as a Christian, we've been indwelt with the Spirit of God. I, I can't rebuild that which I have destroyed because something has taken over in my life. And that is I have been indwelt with the Spirit of God as a believer. I have been crucified with Christ. I have died to sin. Paul is saying, I identify myself with the death of Christ, because I know that in Christ's death, I was purchased. My sin was done away with in the eyes of God. Peter, so much so, he says, I identify myself with Jesus, that it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Christ, to the Christian, should be living through him. When you and I sin, Listen, it's not Christ living in us, but the flesh overcoming us. I had this conversation with my daughter on the way home from church. Uh, and we talked about the idea that, uh, that we either walk by the flesh or we walk by the Spirit. And as Christians, we should walk by the Spirit. But there are many times that we fail and we, we end up walking by the flesh. But the flesh and the Spirit are opposed to one another. 
And they're they're in opposition to one another so that you may not do what you please. Listen, you and me as Christians have a new life. The old life died with Jesus on the cross. Jesus has now indwelt us and should be living through us. So the words you speak, when you pop off those bad words, that's not Christ. Right? I had a, a, a young lady message me yesterday and ask me about name-calling and whether that was a, uh, did that grieve the Spirit of God? And so I said, well, I, I believe that we we have to be very careful to make sure that, uh, you know, we, we're, we're very wise with our words, because the reality is, uh, it was a great question. And though often we do it in thought and deed, sadly enough, it's true. We do do these things. And while it doesn't make it right, we should always be careful with our words because Christ is in us. I've been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So this is also a a sanctification issue. Growing in our relationship with Christ will help us become uh, better at living by the Spirit and not by the flesh. So as we are are, are all walking and growing in our faith, so the Lord grows us and changes our hearts as we walk with Him. It's a process, and prayerfully, we can all be better at these kinds of matters. It says in Ephesians 4.30 that we should not grieve the Spirit. We grieve the Spirit by living like unbelievers by not allowing Christ to live in us and through us, walking out our life in the flesh, right? And that's lived out by Ephesians 4, 17 and 19, by lying, verse 25, by being angry, chapter 4, verse 26 and 27, by stealing, verse 28, by cursing, verse 29, by being bitter, verse 31, by being unforgiven, verse 32, and and, and by being sexually immoral, chapter 5, 3, and 4. Listen, to grieve the Spirit is to act out in a sinful manner, whether it is in thought only or in both thought and deed. Most people wouldn't even consider the tongue is an issue, but our words speak miles into who we are as I would, uh, as who we are in Christ and, and how far yet we have to come. Nevertheless, I would argue that um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't argue so much. Hey, Cher, would you mic, mic, mute your mic? Um, but nevertheless, I would argue not so much from the side of grieving the Spirit as I would rather walking in the flesh. And that's what I mean. We've been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And so that's always important. For example, I would argue more so from the passage found in verse 29 of Ephesians 4 that tells us, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only that which is helpful for the building up of others according to their needs, so that may be benefit those who listen. This would then require us to ask the question, Is what I am 
saying, building up, or breaking down? Period. Are we walking by the Spirit or are we walking by the flesh? This is important. It's become common, acceptable issue in our day to, to mock people and to use things and to break people down. And we've all been guilty. Don't think so highly of yourselves that you never do this. Because it says whether even in word or in thought. Well, I think we'd be wise to think that we'll give an account for our words. Um, so I would say that it would be wiser to honor the Lord with our speech and, and, and not so be quick to judge those who do, but rather pray for those who do. We have this idea that we want to reveal everybody else's sin, right? But the reality is, is we're all sinful, and we're all growing, and we're all growing in the grace and the knowledge of Christ. And, and we, need to, we need to be reminded that you and me as Christians have a new life. The old life is dead with Jesus on the cross, and Jesus has now indwelt us, and we should, and should be living through us. Therefore, our words do matter. So Colossians 3, 5, and 10, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, to impurity, to passion, to evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. Verse 6, for it is because of these things the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience, and in them you also once walked. And when you were living in them, but now, see there, there's the transitional. The, the, but now you also put them all aside. What did you put aside? Well, when you were crucified with Christ, you put aside anger. Listen, every outburst of anger you had is, is not of God. I don't care who causes it. It is not of God. You are the one in sin. Don't blame it on the person who's aggravated you. You are in sin, my friend. And that's okay. We're all sinful. Stained in need of daily repentance to take up our cross daily and to follow after Him. Claim 1 John 1, 9. But there must be a progressive sanctification. I'm angry. I got mad. I went off on you today. I'm please forgive me. And then tomorrow I get angry with you. And I go off on you again. And please forgive me. And I go angry with you. And I'm like, is there really heart change in that? No, there better be some progressive sanctification, victory over it. Learn to keep your mouth shut. Learn to to not speak so quickly. Learn to listen. So he says, put aside all anger, wrath, malice, slander. Oh, we don't have anybody who slanders in these days, do we? Listen, I get your emails. I get your direct messages. But I refuse to allow you to tear down anyone that I know. If you have a problem with your brother or sister, the Bible is very, very clear. And I promise you, it don't say text Pastor Stewart. What it does is say, if your brother has sinned against you, go to him personally. It doesn't say go spread it all over the Telegram and Facebook and social media. That's gossip. That's slander. 
and you just as guilty in your speech as the one who has sinned. So in trying to expose someone's sin, you sin yourself. Now who's better? It says, no, 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 no. You be above that. You, you be above anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abuse of speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self, which is its evil practices, and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. So Christ, when he saves you, he saved me if, in fact, that has taken place in your life, comes to reside in you and in me, and the position of Christ has now become the Lord of your life. You are no longer under the law, but under the leadership of Christ. You have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life which I now live in this flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. How is it, Peter, that you can begin to rebuild that which has been torn down, the law, and it was Jesus that loved us? Not that we loved him, but that God loved us and sent his Son into the world. This is love, 1 John 4.10. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Peter, don't you start withdrawing yourself away from the Gentiles as followers of Christ. You need to begin to, to repent of that. Stop submitting to the law, Peter. It was Jesus who gave Himself up. And you can bet on Christ and His work to keep you saved and right before God, not in your effort. So it's important that we must remember Christ's provision. We also must remember Christ's position, but we also thirdly must remember Christ's purpose. The purpose, God became man. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, John 1. We have Jesus, God in flesh, coming to earth, for a purpose, not just because God thought it was a good idea, but with a purpose. And what was that purpose? The purpose was to save you. Whoever's listening this morning, if you've made it this far in the program, God has sent His Son to rescue you, to save you, from your sins that I promise will lead you to everlasting hell. You must remember that purpose. That purpose was to come and to do what you could never do. To come and accomplish what you could never accomplish. To do that which we will never do. And that, my friends, is to fulfill the very law. You know, the Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The, the Greek word hamartia means to miss the mark. We have missed the mark. Why? Because we cannot be perfect. But Jesus, he did not sin. He did not miss the mark. A matter of fact, he is the greatest archer of all times, and he stuck the bullseye. He's perfect. He has accomplished and fulfilled the law perfectly, and therefore He can become your sinless sacrifice on Calvary. Listen, it's all about grace, Peter. And by sending Jesus into the world, God provided all a perfect life to pay for the sins of the world. Paul said, Peter, 
Verse 21, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. Peter, if the law was the way, if you could do something to get to heaven, then Christ could have stayed in heaven. It, but being the law will never satisfy the just penalty of God for sin. Because the law will never justify a man before God. Because the fact is, he will always be unable to do all the law requires. Christ had to come. And so Peter or anyone here this morning that thinks that they can do good and be good enough, and Jesus, listen, he didn't even need to come. You could just be good and satisfy God by your actions, but we know that's impossible. If your righteousness comes from keeping your good deeds, then Christ died needlessly. But he says, I don't treat the grace of God as meaningless. For if keeping the law could make us right with God, there was no need for Christ to die. You see... Understanding the purpose of Christ will us allow to understand your purpose in this life. And your purpose is not to gain or maintain or sustain salvation in Jesus because Jesus paid it all or Jesus did nothing at all. Paul says, it's my personal defense to show you that the law has nothing to do with your salvation or keeping it. It's based entirely on the purpose of Jesus Christ coming to this earth. Now, I don't know what you've been taught in the past. I don't know what some preacher has stuck in your head. But my desire for you today is that we all consider what it is that Christ has done for you and for me. And I submit that He has paid for your sin, past, present, in future. He wishes that none would perish, but that all would come to repentance. But now you lack one thing. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Bible says you shall be saved. Well, how, pastor, is it that one can walk away from the faith and reject Christ once they come to faith? Well, hear me today. Nothing will show you the true heart of a person more than time. If you or I fall away like so many do, then you and I can bet nothing ever took place. I'm not saying that you won't ever stumble. I'm not saying that you won't ever fall into sin. I'm not even saying that you won't even have a doubt here and there. But you, as a true born-again believer in Jesus Christ, will never reject Jesus as Lord and Savior. Because why? You've been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Listen, if you are in Christ, you will always be in Christ. But in our day, so many fall away. They claim, oh, I said a prayer. The proof of your salvation is not that one time you prayed a prayer. The proof of your salvation is that you continue walking with him, friend. Philippians 1, 6 says, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. That man, that woman that walks away from the faith never had true, genuine faith. They had the same problem then as we have today. There were people who wanted the assurance of heaven and not hell, but failed to be justified by Almighty God. And like so many today, they walked to the world 
and and bought the lie that they were good people. Somebody asked me the other day, why does bad things happen to good people? And I say, your problem is, is I've never seen a good person. The Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. We all deserve hell. We all deserve the pure flaming and wrath and justice of Almighty God. But by God's grace, he sent his son to die in your place that you might have life and have life abundant. 1 John 2.19 says they went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it would be shown they were not really of us. My friends, there will be many. I don't know what chat rooms you're a part of, channels, whatever you want to call them. But there will be hundreds, thousands that will profess Christ with their mouths that Jesus is Lord. But know this, on that day the Lord will say to many, Depart from me, for I have never knew you workers of lawlessness. John 15, 5 says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. We are all called to abide in Christ. Brothers and sisters, we are called to be connected to the vine. Jesus is the vine. Not our works, not our efforts, or our abilities, but in Christ. Paul desires for us to understand that salvation by the law has been destroyed. We are never to rebuild that which has been broken down. We must remember Christ and His provision, that He provided salvation. We must remember Christ's position, that He now lives in us and through us for His glory. And we must remember Christ's purpose, that He came to accomplish that which you could not. He came that you might have life and that you might have life abundant. Let's begin today to live as if Christ really lives in us. Because if he does, it can't help but to come out. Whatever it is you did this week, ask yourself, was it for Christ or was it out of the flesh? Repent. Ask God to forgive you. If it was the flesh, you will never be perfect. That was Jesus' job to accomplish perfection. And he desires only for you and I to confess that sin, admit that that sin, and begin to live a life in the new you. Listen, you don't need salvation again if you've been truly saved. But I want to ask you if you've truly trusted in Jesus today. And if you've really trusted in Jesus today, then why are you walking in sin? And if you've never trusted in Jesus today, then what is it that you are failing to trust Him in today? Repent. Believe the gospel and be saved. Today, if you're here and you're listening, you've never put your faith in Christ, we want you to do that today. Cry out to the Lord. Save even a sinner such as me. Begin to walk and to understand that Jesus has indeed paid for your sin for his glory this has been getting in the word with pastor Stuart guthrie thank you for listening to our weekly podcast and be sure to visit us online at familybiblefellowship.org and come see us in person on sundays at 11 a.m